We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 28. I'll just pray. We'll get right in the word. Got a busy, busy Sunday. Lord, we're thankful, God, to have your word. We're thankful, Lord, in a world uh, of, of, um, that can be confusing, that there's a lot of voices speaking to us uh, and, and, and things that can be not truthful, God, a lot of lies. Lord, we have your word, a truth, a foundation that we can build our whole life on, we can build our marriage on, we can look to it and see what it looks like to be a husband a father, to be a wife and a mom, and what it means to have your identity in Jesus Christ, to know him, to have a savior, to have the creator of the universe walk us through this life and, and bring us into eternity that we might see you face to face, Lord. What a privilege we have, Lord. And we're thankful for that, God. You've given us your word uh, to, to walk us through this life. You've given us your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I just pray today, as we look into it, God, that you would examine us, Lord, that we would examine our own lives and, uh, and ask you to, to make the proper adjustments that need to be made, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 28 says this in verse 1, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And David said to Achish, he's the king of Gath, a leader of Philistine, of the Philistine army. David said to Achish, you surely know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians Forever. And verse 3 says, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And then it says, Saul had put out the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. So it happened in those days. What are those days? We all have days like that, right? A, a day, a season. You know, it's a picture of what it looked like in the, those days in Israel. It wasn't good. Right? Samuel had died. Samuel was a leader, a spiritual leader. He was a pioneer. He was a guy, a reformer. He was a kingmaker. Samuel was amazing. People went to Samuel. He had a school of the prophets. Samuel was a guy that if you wanted an answer, you would go to Samuel and, and inquire, man, what's God say about this? Samuel, can you pray for me? Samuel was that guy. He's dead. He's gone. All right? The privilege we have as believers today, Hebrews chapter 1 says, in times past, in different ways and, and, and at different times, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Right? But in these last days, he's spoken un, unto us by his son. We have a great privilege that we don't have to have a prophet we don't have to have a patriarch, but we can go to God ourselves. And he wants to speak right into your life, into your situation. He's given us his word to do that. But Samuel's gone. He was a guy that they went to. David is in Philistine country, territory. You remember in chapter 27 that David said in his heart, such a mistake he made, now I shall perish someday at the hand of Saul. 
David lies to himself. He tells himself something that no one else is telling him. That God hasn't spoken to him. That Samuel hasn't spoken to him. Even Jonathan, his friend, Saul's son, told him, listen, you're going to be the next king. God is going to make you profitable. And I'll be right next to you. Even Saul said that. But David tells himself, you know what? I'm going to perish someday at the hand of Saul. I bet there's nothing better for me than to flee to the land of the Philistines. And he goes to Gath, right? That's where their champion was from. The Philistine champion was from Gath, Goliath, that David killed. And he runs there from the pressure of Saul and thinks, man, enemy territory, I'll, 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 I'll escape any pressure. And he goes there and he has to masquerade and pretend for 16 months. He has to live in, in compromise, rebellion, sin, and he has to lie the whole time. Achish thinks he's fighting his battles. Like, we're, uh, man, David is fighting Israel for me. But David is lying. He's killing every man, woman, child, taking everything hostage and bringing some back, some of the spoil back to Achish. And Achish, Achish says, man, this guy's on my side. So the climate of the day, Samuel's dead. David is in, uh, in rebellion, compromise, right? He listens to his heart, which, you know, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? But David tells himself that. He's going by his feelings, his emotions that can lead us astray. And David says, man, I've got to flee. But David thinks pretty highly of himself while he's in Gath. They gave him Ziklag. Achish gives him Ziklag, a, a territory just on the outside boundary. And David thinks, I've got this all under control. I can do this. I'm, I'm fooling the king. I'm raiding. I'm getting favor. And he thinks very highly of himself. Little does he know, Achish is now going to reel him in to his army. Right? And that's what sin does, compromise does. It takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to be there, and it costs you more than you want to pay. That's what sin and compromise does. You think, you know what, I can, I can do this. It's okay. I got this under control. And, and, and sin is much, much like the way Achish is treating David. He says, man, you're going to be my servant forever. And then he tells him here in verse 2 of chapter 28, you're going to be my chief guardian. I'm going to give you this title, my, my chief guardian. And that's what the devil does. He wants to lure you in and make sin look like something it's not. And Oh, you're going to have this great title. You're going to be my chief guardian. Really, David? These are the enemies of Israel. You're the future king. But the devil makes sin and compromise look good. He never tells you the end, never tells you what's going to happen. He just makes it look good right at the very beginning. And you take the bait, just like a lure, a fishing lure. You take the bait, and then you're hooked. And David's hooked in the land for 16 months, lying, deceiving, murdering, masquerading. And those are the days that Israel's in. 
And Achish wants to strike while the iron's hot. He sees David as an ally, and he thinks, you know what? We're going to go to war with Israel. We've got the advantage, the edge. I'm recruiting David into my army, and David has no idea. He doesn't know. He says, man, you know what your servant can do. He doesn't say, yeah, I'd love to be that. He's like, he's probably not sure exactly what to say, how to respond to that. You know what your servant can do. And he says, I'm going to make you my chief guardian forever. Samuel's dead. And then it says this, this is the, the, the last main player in the climate, the days in that day. It says, Saul had put out the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Kind of an interesting scripture, and we're going to camp here just for a minute. The, the mediums, the spiritists. Uh, if you would, turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 just for a second. This was God's command. While well, you're turning to Daniel, it was God's command. It, it says in Exodus chapter 22, verse 18, God tells Moses, suffer not a witch to live. Those are spiritists. They're, they're people who dabble in the occult, with, you know, they're necromancers, it's called, the people that uh, channel with the, with the dead, supposedly, right? And, but they're fake, right? They're fake. That's, that's what the Bible declares. I know, you know, I don't know everyone here, and I don't know what you've done or, you know, what you're doing, but, but the reality is, is there is a spiritual realm that you can tap into, and you'll get answers from. There were people in Daniel's day. There was people all the way back in, in Exodus as, as God tells Moses, hey, you're going to pull my people out of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm going to give you a land. But listen, suffer not a witch to live. They're liars. They're going to lead my people astray. It's very dangerous, right? And that, and that doesn't mean just the wicked witch of the West. That's Glenda too, right? The, the good witch. Because they're liars. They're not from God. That's what, that's what the Bible declares. In Daniel, it's, it's very telling what these people are doing. You know, Nebuchadnezzar has his people, his, his astrologers. It says this in verse 1 of, of Daniel chapter 2. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had, dream, had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that sleep left him. Like, and it's the worst. If, if you can't sleep at night, and maybe you're experiencing that, it's terrible. Right? You're, you're up all night, then when you should be sleeping, you're not. When, you're, when you shouldn't be sleeping, that's when you're sleeping, behind the wheel, driving to work, or you know, at work at your desk. Right? You're, you're, you're sleeping. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has this continual dream. And it's keeping him up at night. It's bothering him. It's agitating him. And it says, finally, the king gave a command to all the magicians. These are those people. The astrologers, people that follow the stars. You're, 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 you know, are you a Taurus or Libra? Whatever it is. That's who these people were. They would follow their life, not by the Bible or the word of God. But they're going to follow the stars and palm readers and tarot card readers, right? Those type of people. The sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had 
a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. It's keeping me up every night. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Right? They're, 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 they're puffing him up a little bit. Tell your servant the dream, and we'd be glad to give you the interpretation. Well, that's easy. If you tell me what the dream you had last night, I can give you any interpretation. And that's what these guys do. Inspired by a demon and the devil, and they'll tell you anything. Well, listen, Nebuchadnezzar's not a dummy. Even though he has these guys, he knows they're liars. They say, hey, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, oh, my decision is firm. If you don't make known to me, known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your house shall be made an ash heap. Nebuchadnezzar is serious. This isn't an empty threat. This is what he does to people. He goes in and invades people and kills everyone and takes them hostage. So they know he's serious. He says, however, if you tell me the dream and its its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and the interpretation. That's how I know you're telling me the truth. If you can tell me my dream, I know you're telling me the truth. However, oh, and in verse 7 it says, And they answered again and said, Let the king tell his servant the dream and we'll give its interpretation. They're like, now they're like, they know he's serious. And they're pleading with him. And, and the king answered and says, I know for certain you would gain time. You're just stalling here because you see my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I know, you'll give me the, I know you can give me the interpretation. I'll trust the interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. That's impossible. No one can do that. No ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there's no one who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and he gave command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions. And if you know Daniel chapter 2, you can read it later, you know, the they go tell Daniel, listen, Daniel, they're killing everyone. Uh, is there any way you could tell this guy the dream? And Daniel said, okay, let me, give me time to pray. And they prayed, and God gave them the dream and the interpretation, right? And then it says in verse 46, Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of God's the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. And the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great many gifts, and Daniel asked if his friends could be promoted, and they were, right? Because only God knows the future. But there is a, a devil, and there are demons. They were angels, and they're fallen, and they have power. And they don't know the future, but they know you, and they're studying you. 
And they know people that have died. They know your hurts, your pains, and they're watching your lives. And they can give you some very vague answers, maybe more accurate than you can imagine, because they see the books you're opening and the things you're doing, and they can give you answers and tell you things and blow your mind. But they don't know the future, and they're, they're, they're evil spirits. It's demonic. And that's why God says, get them out of the land, and that's what Saul does. He gets them out of the land. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, that Janus and Jambres, they withstood Moses. And if you guys remember that, Exodus chapter 7, these were the magicians of, of that day, in Moses' day, in Pharaoh's court. And how did they withstand Moses? If you guys remember, Moses threw his staff on the ground, his shepherd's staff, and it turned into a snake. And what did those magicians do? Those astrologers, they did the same thing. They have power. The Bible says they have power. Paul told Timothy that. Paul told the Thessalonians that, that Antichrist is going to come with power, signs, and lying wonders. It's pseudo-miracles. They're fake. But they have, they have the power to perform miracles, to do things just the same way it was in Moses' day. Nothing's changed. The devil's real. And if you want to tap into the spiritual realm and the demonic, those demonic things, you might get an answer. You might get some truth, right? Rat poison has what? Uh, only 0.002% poison. The rest of it's nutritious and, and you know, it attracts rats, right? And that's what the devil did when he spoke to Jesus. That's what the devil did when he spoke to Eve. He gives you a little bit of truth with enough poison to kill you. And that's what the devil does. He's a liar. And it was commanded that these people get put out of the land because they're liars, Paul told the Corinthians that, that, that Satan's ministers, his servants, are transformed into angels of light. They're not coming to you with a pitchfork and horns and a tail, right? They're coming as an angel of light. And you can tap into that. And it says that Saul puts him out of the land, but you're going to see in just a couple verses here, that at night he goes to find one. Outwardly, he looks great. Man, Saul, what a great job. You're obeying God. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 15, as, he, as, as God tells Samuel to go tell Saul, go after the Amalekites. You've got to wipe them out. Saul goes there and he keeps Agag alive and the best of the sheep and all these different people, because they're still alive, but he's probably thinking, you know what, I, I did some good. I actually put the astrologers out of the land, the soothsayers, the magicians, all those people that you told me to. And then Samuel says, listen, rebellion, disobedience, he says, is this as the sin of witchcraft, the same thing, right? If you don't want to obey God, it's the same thing. It hasn't changed. So it's a warning, so Saul puts these guys out of the land, but he's going to go seek them. 
And it says in verse 4, here's his worst nightmare. He's chasing David. And it says, the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped in Gilboa. Listen, the enemy's already entrenched in the land. How did they get so deep in the land? Listen, Saul was preoccupied with other things. Our adversary is laser-focused. The trouble is we're not laser-focused. The devil comes, the Bible says, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal for your life. Steal, kill, and destroy. And he's laser-focused. The trouble is we're not. And Saul is distracted by David. He's outside of God's will. And all of a sudden, he turns. David leaves. He turns, and there's the, advers- there's the enemy right there. Compromise will do that, man. We need. It's worth examining your life. It's worth examining your home. All areas, all aspects of your life. Because if you've been distracted, if you've been chasing other things, like Saul was chasing David, you don't know the areas the enemy's trying to get in there. If you haven't seen it, areas of compromise and sin that, man, he is about to set the hook. And they're there, and they're entrenched in the land, and when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And Saul inquired of the Lord, and this is scary, the Lord did not answer him, neither by dreams or by the Urim. Those are those stones the priests would have, right? Saul killed all the priests in Nob, murdered them. Saul... Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord didn't answer him, neither by dreams, Urim, or the prophets. He wants answers. He wants encouragement. And I think it's, I believe it's not because God's not listening. God is speaking the same thing to Saul. That's our trouble. Listen, we want a new answer. Now we're in trouble because of our own sin, rebellion. You know, we've, we've, we've you know, the Bible says that we're going to reap what we sow. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Know this, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that's what he's going to reap, right? If you, if you live out in the country, every year I'm thinking, what are they going to plant next to my house this year? I'm anticipating, and it's been corn for, I think they're planting too much corn. Aren't they only supposed to do it so many years in a row? And it's, every year it's corn, right? And when they plant the corn, I don't expect you know, anything else to come up but corn. I know what's planted. And that's the same thing for your life. Whatever you sow in your life, you're going to reap. It's going to grow. And it's going to come up. Right? And every day you're planting, you're planting, you're planting. What are you planting? You're planting the word of God in your heart, in your head. What are you planting? Right? Because God is not mocked. He says if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit of, of the spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. There's only two things to plant, to the flesh or to the spirit. And you're going to reap, right? And that's what's been going on in Saul's life. He's been sowing to the flesh, sowing to the flesh, sowing to the flesh. And now he's afraid. What am I going to do? God's not speaking to me. Well, I think it's not that God's not speaking God's word hasn't changed. He's been telling 
Saul, the same thing for over 15 years. 10 years of chasing David almost. Same thing, same thing, same thing. The Lord's been patient with Saul, though. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1 with me for a minute. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24 says this. Because I've called to you and you refused. I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Verse 25 says, because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror comes. When terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I won't answer. They will seek me diligently, but they won't find me because they've hated knowledge. They didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel, and they despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning the way of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Right? That's the promise we have. Listen, if you want to listen to the Lord, we don't have to fear. We're going to go through hard things, difficult things, but God is right there with us. Man, on the other end, if we're sowing to the flesh, sowing to the flesh, what promise do you have? God says, I'm not going to listen. I won't hear you when you call. He wants an answer. What should I do? The, the, what God has told him is, has, has not changed. Saul, you're rebelling. You're not listening to me. And I believe all those years, and even right now, because what's going to happen here is, is the exception to the rule. What we're going to see here is the exception of the rule, and God gives Saul one more chance to change, to repent. But he's worried. What do I do? What do I do? So Saul said to his servants, verse 7, find me a woman who is a medium that I might go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor. They know right where there is one. Who Saul is comes out right here in private. Find me a woman who's a medium. Get me, find me a witch. Saul is saying, find someone who will tell me what I want to hear. Because that's what they did. They would, they would tell you what you wanted to hear, they would give that Nebuchadnezzar, those guys wanted to give Nebuchadnezzar a good interpretation of his dream. They wanted, if they gave him a bad interpretation, they're dead, right? So he's, Saul's like, find me a medium, find me a witch that I might ask her what, what I should do. And he's basically just trying to hear something that he wants to hear rather than what God's been speaking to him. We need 
honesty. The Bible is honest. People should be honest to us. I'm thankful for my wife. I've said it before. She's brutally honest, and I need it. You know, thankful for people like that in our lives who will be honest with us. We need people like that, right? Not mean, but honest, truthful, loving, but truthful. We need people like that. So verse 8, it says, so Saul disguised himself. He's seven feet tall here. He's the tallest guy in Israel. He disguises himself and puts on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. He, and he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one that I named to you. So he disguises himself, and he's used to pretending, right? Hopefully we're not used to pretending. He disguises himself, and, and it's so easy to put on a mask, right? That's what hypocrisy is. It means so, someone who wears a mask. And sometimes you can be a hypocrite when you're working out of town or out of state, and nobody knows you. And all of a sudden, you grab another mask, and this is who I really am. Or you take your mask off, your church mask off, right? And that's what Saul does. He puts on a mask, pretends he's someone else. He goes at night in the dark, a 10-mile journey to Endor. And he says, perform a seance. What, what? It's crazy. Inquire the dead for me. I want to talk to someone who's died. And the woman said unto him, Look, you know Saul has what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why would you lay a snare for me to cause me to die? She says, What is this, a trap? Is this a sting operation? And, And verse 10 says, Saul swore. Listen, this is crazy. Saul swears to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Saul swears by the one who made the rule, who commanded that they be put out of the land. And Saul says, Listen, I swear to you by the Lord who lives that no harm shall come upon you. The guy is so warped in his thinking. He's so warped. And that's what sin does. We can't think clear. He's justifying his position. He's making God say whatever he wants him to say. He says, man, I swear by the Lord, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, all right, who shall I bring up? She trusts him. And he says, bring up Samuel for me. And it's not an unusual request. Bring someone up from the dead. I'm sad. I want answers or whatever. People do that. People grieve and mourn the loss of people. And they want to see them again or hear from them again. It's not unusual for people to do that or want that. Right? You see it in movies all the time. People will step back in time or they'll walk up to this tree or thing and all, all of a sudden their, their grandfather or their father or this figure in their life will appear and you know, speak this truth over their life or say something uh, into their, speak into their life to give them encouragement or hope or comfort. But it's not biblical. It doesn't happen. It's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. If you turn to Luke chapter 16, I'm going to hurry after this just for a second. 
Luke chapter 16 says this in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, and he was full of sores, and he was laid at, at this rich man's gate. And he was desiring, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Can you imagine the scene? How sad it is. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died, and it says he was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. This is called Abraham's bosom. It's a place of the dead. And there's a great gulf fixed. And one side was paradise, and the other side was what we might call hell. It was torment. And the rich man who had no faith, did not know God, he was on one side, and Lazarus, this guy who had faith, is in comfort on the other side. It's before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Okay, This, is, this would be the same time as, as Saul speaking here. It would be the same event could take place. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he might dip his tongue, the tip of his finger in the water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you, they can't go. Or from you to us, they can't. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And, and Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Listen, it was common that people would think, this person's going to rise from the dead and, and talk to me. They're stuck in that place of torment. And God is in control. Not a, 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 a witch or a medium or a wizard. But he says, hey, call up Samuel. I need some answers. And it says, verse 12, the woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So now she knows. The jig is up. She knows that this is Saul, and this woman sees someone that's not normal. Normal... Normally, what she would do and see, and your King James might say someone who deals with familiar spirits, it's, it's she has a demon that would come to her all the time and speak to her for different people and pretend they're somebody. And she's familiar with this demon that comes up all the time. Her, I think the, the, um, the Hebrew is an ab. That's the word for it, familiar spirit. It's an ab. And it was a demon that would come up and speak and lie. 
And she's freaked out because she sees something that's not familiar to her. She's upset. She says, you're Saul. Who's this? And the king says, don't be afraid. What do you see? Normally, she's not afraid. This is her profession. This is what she does. And the woman said, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. This is not normal. And he said to her, what is his form? And she said, it's an old man coming up, and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. And Samuel said to Saul, verse 15, why have you disturbed me, bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed. For the Philistines make war with me. God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets or dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you might reveal to me what I should do. This is my last ditch effort. And God actually lets Samuel come up. This isn't normal. You don't see this in the Bible. Few people were raised from the dead. And he says, I'm afraid. Philistines are coming against me. God's not speaking to me. He's got all these problems and excuses and things going on. Right? These guys want to make war with me. And, and, and Samuel's like, well, what do you want me to do? What should you do? And, and maybe Saul's thinking, I should get more troops or have a better plan or you know, get better weapons. No, none of that's going to work because... God is against him. He's going to find that out right here. What Saul needs to do is repent. He needs to change because he can't win. It won't work. Listen, in our rebellion, and we've all been there, we've stepped outside of God's will and his bounds, ultimately it won't work out. God doesn't let it work out. Temporarily it does. For, Sam, for David it did. For Saul, God's patient with him. What do I do? And Samuel says, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? Why are you asking me? You know what you should do. And that's why you called for me. You know the answer. And the Lord has done for himself, verse 17, as he spoke by me already, this is what God said, and I already told you this. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to another, given it to your neighbor David. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Right? God has already spoke to you. Asking the same question won't change the answer. Verse 19 says, Moreover, the Lord will deliver Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Never think that your sin won't affect other people. Saul's sin, his rebellion, his disobedience, you never sin to yourself. It affects him. It affects his sons. It affects the whole nation. People die because of Saul's rebellion. You remember Achan, right? He stole the, that garment from Jericho, tucked it in his tent. And God tells, tells uh, Joshua, he says, listen, 
The people have sinned. What? No, it was just Achan. No, he says the people have sinned. Therefore, the people are going to suffer. Because they're together. When one part of the body suffers, everyone suffers. And our sin does more damage than we know. And we've all walked in rebellion. We've all hurt people because of our rebellion. I certainly have. And verse 20 says, Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food at all, day, all, <clears throat> all day or night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice. I've put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused. He says, I'm not going to eat. He's like, I'm still fasting. I'm hoping for a different answer. I don't know what he's thinking. Like a religious activity, tithing or fasting is going to change God's opinion. He refused. He says, I'm not going to eat. So his servants together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice, and he arose from the ground, and he sat on the bed. And the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened, unleavened bread from it. And she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And then it says, and they rose, and they went away that night. They went their way. They went their way. God's position, God's desire for Saul was to, to eat and go his way. And that's the trouble. Sometimes we sit in church or we hear God's word. You can hear it on the radio. We, we listen to it. We understand it. It makes sense to us. We're convicted by it. And then we rise up. We eat that spiritual food and we just go our own way and do our own thing. And nothing changes. We think we're fine. And, and, and Saul's not going to be fine. He's close to the end. And instead of repenting, he doesn't relent. David would say in, in, 1 Samuel, or in 2 Samuel chapter 1, three times, how are the mighty fallen? He looks at Saul's life, this potential of this king, the first king of Israel, and his start, how he was prophesying how he performed these great, miraculous victories for Israel. Courageous. And three times he'll say, oh, how are the mighty fallen? How did this happen? How could this happen? It happens in rebellion. It happens in sin. It happens in disobedience. It happens when you don't listen to God. He wants the best for you. For some reason, I don't know why, we think God is punishing us all the time in his will. Like, oh, God wants me to do that. It can't be good. God wants me to not do this. Can't, it's bad for me. That's not the case. God loves you. He wants the best for you. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness of turning. He's not changing. He's got good things for your life and mine. He wants us to walk in them if we choose it trouble is we don't choose it. There's confidence when we choose God's will and his way. He's by our side. 
We don't have to worry about, are we not hearing him? The trouble is us not hearing God. You know, the Bible promises us that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's usually the problem. If you're wondering what the next move in your life is, diligently seek the Lord. How do I do that? Just open your Bible in the morning. Pray and don't stop. I didn't hear anything this morning. You know, I tell, tell my kids that or tell people that. I prayed one time. Well, I'm not calling that a deal. If I threw a $100 bill in my yard, are you going to stop after one minute of looking? No, my kids would be out there till, with flashlights, right? How about if God has uh, his plan for your life mapped out in the Word? Are you going to get your flashlight out and stay up tonight for an extra hour and say, man, God, what do you have for me? What's my life look like? Where am I going? Where should I go? Because it's not a $100 bill. It's your life, your whole life, your family, who, the people you affect through your life, right? Saul gets up, and he, and he went away, and he goes his own way. He's going to perish. He's about to die. The children of Israel are going to suffer for it. God's hand is even against them and under Saul's leadership. Sad. So, Lord, we just give you our lives, Lord. We want to, we're thankful, God, for the, for the, the gift of repentance, Lord. Lord, your word, Peter tells us that, that you're not slack concerning your promises, but you're long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We're thankful, God, if there's breath in our lungs today, that we can change praying for our conscience today, Lord, that it wouldn't be seared, that it wouldn't be too hard to respond to your truth, that we wouldn't be so stuck in our ways that we couldn't change. Because we can be, Lord. Our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. We're just praying, God, for a move of your spirit, Lord, in our lives personally, that you would touch and heal and restore and, and do the work that, that Lord, uh, you want to do in our lives. Lord, we just give them to you. We thank you for the peace we have of knowing that, that you, Jesus, you said you're a good shepherd and your sheep hear your voice. If we're yours, uh, we might need a, a spanking. Uh, we might need your rod or your staff. But you speak to us, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us even today, Jesus, in your name.